Good afternoon. We're back with another episode of the Sean Mohe podcast. I'm pleased to have an esteemed guest, Coach Mark Pope from BYU with us today. Coach Pope, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Sean. Great to talk to you. Well, I appreciate appreciate you coming on. And I know the, the last few weeks have, have probably been been pretty crazy. And you were one of the, I think, you know, few schools and few conferences that got to finish up your conference tournament. And I know with the team you had, uh, you probably had some high hopes going into the NCAA tournament with a lot of firepower. But how was it kind of, you know, wrapping up the WCC tournament and then all of a sudden having having really everything canceled over over a span of, uh, you know, two to three days? Well, for our crew, I think everybody has their own story. For our team, it was it, it was incredibly difficult just because. My guys, you know, I had veteran group. I had a lot of seniors on this team that had been chasing this for four and some five years um, and falling short each year from getting to the tournament. And finally, you know, finishing the season, ranked in the top 20 and and the number nine in the net and, and uh, you know, winning nine out of 10. We felt like we we're in an unbelievable position and poised to, you know, f- first of all, to finally get the tournament which these guys have been trying to do for so long and then actually have a chance to you know really make a run and probably have a you know I think they were projected as maybe a five or a six seed so have a good seed to have a real shot to you know get past that first weekend um, and my guys were just they were absolutely devastated and there was no easy um, fix for that right it's not like you can move on to the next game or, right or, you know, you didn't even have time to, you know, I think, uh, I think Cal said it best when he said, you know, you, you always get to finish season walking off the floor one way or the other, you get to finish the season competing. And in this case, none of us did. And especially for a team that had worked so long and so hard to finally get to this point, it was really tough for them. Yeah, I w- you know, I would imagine, as, as you said, a very kind of senior-laden team, very experienced, and had had played very well throughout the the course of the season, and and would have been up for you know most likely a, a five or, or six seed. Um, you know, how was was it kind of a a meeting that you guys had, or was it just kind of phone calls with everybody? But how did how did all that come together at the at the very end as you guys are most likely returning from Las Vegas? Well, we were actually and we were actually in our pre-practice meeting. So we were in the okay. film room. Uh, we had we had um, done a five-slide um, presentation on uh, <clears throat> you know ways to keep yourself safe um, with this coronavirus pandemic, and and um, so we had just finished that, and we were breaking into some film with some some concepts that we we're going to work on in practice that day that guys were taped and in practicers and everything, and. Uh, as I was presenting that film, uh, my assistant coach, uh, Cody Fieger, uh, kind of held up his phone in front of my face and we saw the announcement to come up. And so we just told the team right there and, and, uh, we all heard it together and, uh, it was awful. Actually, it was really devastating. Um, these, these, these young men have, you know, we had so many guys, you know, you know, Yoli Childs was gone and he decided to come back to do this and Jake Toulson, you know, it had left and gone somewhere else and decided to come back to do this. And TJ Hawes decided to stay. And all these guys have been through so much in their careers and never in their in their careers earned a trip to the NCAA tournament, finally had it, and then it was taken away. It was it was really brutal. A lot of tears, um, a lot of sadness, a lot of really uncomfortable silence. It was a it was a bad moment. 
Yeah. I mean, I can, I can only, only imagine. And I know for those guys and, you know, for some reason this really stuck with me. I watched a lot of college basketball games during the year, but going back into, you know, I think it was early January, you guys were playing a Thursday night game at St. Mary's and it was a real back and forth game. And there was a timeout called and and ESPN kind of went into your, uh, your huddle. And it was before you kind of gathered the team, but you were just listening and it looked like one of the most intense um, you know, intense timeouts just from a individual player perspective. And it wasn't like mm-hmm. you would think of players going at each other. It was really, they're so invested, but everything seemed yeah. very positive at a very high level. And it seemed yeah. like you just kind of let them go and then brought everything together. But for some reason that, that just really stuck with me because they were so intense and so into it, but it was all in a very positive manner. Yeah, you know, you think about it, I mean, there's not that many things. It's just all of us, just as people. How many things are there that you kind of spend your whole life chasing and then you spend four or five years, like you think about it, four or five years with one incredibly specific goal um, that is consuming your really every waking moment and, and year after year you fall short, but you come back again to try again, right? And so... What we had was the culmination of all those years of frustration and effort and work and and focus coming together in our guys. And, and there's so many teams around the country that had stories that, that are compelling about what this season meant to them and, and how the short end of the season impacted them. But certainly um, ours is among those just of it's just so hard. It's impossible not to feel for these young men and everything they had put into this and um, the one saving grace that they have is, is um, for this BYU fan base, this season presented so many incredible, uh, nearly unbelievable storylines and so many epic moments that these guys gave us that it doesn't take long. You know, when you start, when you start worrying about what we missed out on and what we lost, which is huge, um, the, the best remedy is just to reflect on what we got to experience together and what we got to witness in these young men. And that is incredibly inspiring. And, and it's, um, so, so they didn't, they didn't leave this season empty handed. I mean, they made history in so many ways and, and, uh, the, the, the best and only thing we can do is kind of celebrate those moments. Yeah. One of those moments was towards the end of the regular season, uh, toppling Gonzaga at home. Uh, you know, Gonzaga was obviously one of the top teams in the country and, and the atmosphere you guys had at home. What was that experience like to kind of, you know, second to last game of the regular season, but obviously, as you said, a great moment for the fans and, and the university. Well, it was, it was, it was epic, man. I'm telling you, I, you know, so it was, um, you know, we hadn't been ranked in a decade at BYU. We hadn't been ranked in the top 25. And I think it was our third week being ranked. We got from 23 to 22 to 17, something, give or take. And, um, of course, the Zags were ranked one and two, depending on which poll you looked at. And so it was the first meeting between two ranked teams in the Marriott Center in, in a decade. And, and, um, and it was this accumulation of all these guys' work, and it went through the season. And there was so much, there were so many storylines during the season. You know, we were so undersized all season long, and we played the first. You know, we had one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the country. I think it was ranked nine for most of the season, and and um, you know, we had won such huge game, huge games with this tiny little team without Yoli Childs, our best player, right? So. We went to Houston and won. We were at Maui and 
came in third place and beat Virginia Tech and UCLA and hung with Kansas for a half. And, uh, you know, leading up to the game, I think the Gonzaga game, we were maybe on a, a seven-game winning streak and, um, and our, you know, all the momentum of the program had kind of been, it started early in the season, it's just been raising and raising and raising. And, and um, you know, we had a sellout crowd. Kids have been, we played Santa Clara at home um, uh, on Thursday night. And so the kids, uh, our student section rushed out of the arena and set up their tents uh, <laughs> to sit out there in the cold for 48 hours leading to the, to the Gonzaga game and and so the, the, our student section was just unbelievable it was incredibly epic and uh you know people are scalping tickets you couldn't get tickets in a, a national tv game and it's senior night and so with all that build up most often you just can't live up to the hype but the the, the game actually surpassed the hype and our guys played um uh you know against probably you know the best team in america with certainly the best front line in america and and uh, came away with a convincing victory, and uh, the, the the fans stormed the the floor after. It was only the second time in a 50-year history of the Merritt Center. It was only the second time that fans had ever stormed the court. Uh, so that's a rare occurrence here for us. And um, you know, Sean Farnham, Sean Farnham has said, you know, 20 times he's so he, he loves to say it so much, but he's like, I have never, you know, he does the SEC and the ACC, and he does West Coast games when he can. He's like, I've never been in an environment like that. Uh, the environment in the gym that night, 19,000 fans just losing their minds, and and with seven seniors, five, you know, scholarship seniors that have just been through the battles for years trying to get to that point. I'm telling you, I've said this so many times, somebody find me a more epic senior night in the history of college <laughs> basketball, uh, and nobody's come up with anything yet. So I can't, I can't say for sure, but it's got to be in the conversation for the greatest senior night ever in the history of college basketball. It was really incredible. Well, it was definitely something to, to watch on TV, and I, I think probably something that you know probably doesn't get mentioned is you mentioned the Santa Clara game at home, but also the game after it at Pepperdine yeah. are two, two games that, you know, a lot of teams could have been letdown games where, you know, they're focused on Gonzaga, either looking ahead to Gonzaga or, you know, still living off of the high of upsetting Gonzaga at home. And, and both of those were uh, double digit wins. So I think that goes to show how mentally tough this team was um, as a whole. Um, yeah, but- it, it, there's no doubt, and it, it was it was it was these senior guys that were just determined. You know, they had dropped games like those before, and they were just determined, committed that it was not going to happen again. So, how how was it for you? You know, this being your first year at, at BYU, coming from Utah Valley, but you come in and you know you have experience college and the NBA, and have been an assistant at BYU, but. I'm still is probably a little tough at the beginning, especially with a senior laden crew of, of kind of getting them to, to buy in or on your philosophy. So how was that just kind of going back to when you first got the job and, and how you kind of got everybody to, to buy in? Well, when, when I first got the job, uh, you know, you have that moment when you go meet the team, it was right before the press conference, walked into the film room and met the team. And, and there were not a lot of welcoming, uh, <laughs> looks uh, from these guys you know um dave rose the 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 the, you know hall of fame uh 
coach um, who, who the, you know, the, the, the best to have ever done it at BYU and the guy that, and the coach that all these guys had come to play for had retired a few weeks earlier. And, and, um, you know, and, and even more so, you know, we were, uh, you know, I was coaching down the street at Utah Valley and, and we had established a little bit of a rivalry. We had come into the Marriott Center a couple of years earlier and scored more points than any other team had ever scored in the Marriott Center as, a, as an opponent in the history of BYU. So there was some some bad blood there, right? And and uh, and so you know, and there was all, a lot of sideways looks and uncertainty. And 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 BYU was coming off a. Uh, really disappointing uh, finish to their season, um, you know, in terms of losing the first, you know, their first game in the, the WCC tournament in, in kind of a disappointing fashion, not playing up to their potential. So there's just a lot of, um, there were just a lot of things that, 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 you know, added to the complication of um, us meeting for the first time. But these guys were incredibly generous to me and my staff. And, and um they, uh, you know, gave us a chance. We still had some dynamic roster changes over the course of the summer, which right. is part of the process. And 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 uh, these guys were willing. They were willing to try and, and give us a shot. And and, um, and then they they just devoured everything we had to give them. I mean, they, you know, it, there came a point um, early in the fall where we, as a staff, we just had to be like, man, these guys are hungry and they're high IQ and they just can't get enough of it. Right. Um, in the past with this staff, with the teams we coach, we'd always been trying to slow things down and dump things down and keep things really conservative in terms of introducing new ideas and schemes and sets. Um, but this, this team just wanted more and they, and they, they, they could just keep up. Right. It was really fun. And so we, I think we recognized in the fall that, you know, even though our, 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 um, roster was so limited in terms of numbers and size i think we felt like it was going to be a fun team to coach because because of how committed and and uh and um interested and invested they were i think one of the more remarkable stats is you look at at last year and, and obviously you guys added some pieces but the team shot 33% from the three point line which was 240th in the country and then all of a sudden now this year they shoot 42% and are number one in the country. So how do you kind of, you know, how does that, how does that happen? Well, I think we have good shooters. I mean, you know, we, we brought in a couple guys that can really shoot the ball. You know, Jake Toulson is, was the second most efficient offense player in America two years ago. He's an all American whack player of the year. Right. So, I mean, he was, uh, he was, you know, on a team full of guys that really, could shoot the ball. He was the steadying force when things went wrong. You know, we started a game. In fact, we started the, the Gonzaga game, I believe, 0 for 8 from the three-point line in the first half. And, it, it you know, for most teams, um, at that point, you kind of start to get a little tentative or start to look for other answers on the offensive end. But with our team, with Jake, Jake never was cold, right? He just always made shots. And so he just came out and banged a couple of 30-footers at that point, and everyone else was like, okay, we, we can make shots. Let's go, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, so he was a, certainly a catalyst for us from the three-point line. And, and Alex Barcelo, you know, had only shot about 
29 or 30% from the three-point line in his time at Arizona, but came in and ended up shooting 50% from us from the three-point line. But we also had unbelievable contributions from guys who hadn't shot well. You know, Yoli Childs went from a 30% three-point shooter to a 50% three-point shooter on the season, shooting two and a half a game. And, and Dalton Nixon went from one for 17 a, a year ago to, to shooting, you know, finishing the season just under 40%, I think at 39%. And um, Connor Harding jumped up to, you know, shoot about 45, I think ended up shooting 45% from the three-point line, made huge strides. So part of it was, you know, having, having good shooters, uh, which is always the most important part. Part of it was the emphasis that we had on, you know, we, we, we had great discretion in the, in the difficult shots we turned down to get better shots. Uh, our guys were really generous with each other in terms of trying to create shots for, for, for each other. Our guys were really, really attentive to um, all of the analytics that we could show them about uh, where things turned out to be more efficient than they might guess. Um, and and uh, they worked really hard to, to earn great shots for each other. And, and then when they shot them, uh, you know, the two things we talk about every single every single shot is you have to finish your shot and you've got to own your shot. And we, we talk about those in very specific ways. And our guys were really willing to dive in and just trust that philosophy. And so I think it was a combination of all those things. Um, but, you know, the team put on a show from the three-point line, especially with the, the you know, his first year of a deeper three-point line. And guys shot 42.2% from the three as a team and, and were just terrific. Yeah, you could definitely see that deeper three-point line affect, you know, some players and, and some teams. But obviously, when, when you have pretty deep range and a good focus, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you're you're shooting from. But, you know, a question for you, you mentioned kind of the dynamic roster turnover. And, and obviously, for you guys, you know, losing so many seniors that I would imagine right now between, you know, looking at the transfer portal and, and grad transfers. But how do you kind of, how are you kind of adapting to, you know, the, what we're going through right now and, and still try and do, you know, build out, build out the team for next year. It's really interesting. I mean, it's uncharted territory. So we're all just, I mean, we're being forced to innovate, right. Which is, um, which is just where we're at right now. And so, um, you know, uh, just starting with just meeting as a staff. So we're actually just meeting as a staff every morning, you know, uh, electronically over Zoom. And so we have our staff meetings every morning and kind of lay out the work for the day. And then we're just, you know, we don't see each other for the most part. We're just communicating all electronically and, and recruiting has become a little bit challenging too, just in the trust factor. So, you know, we're all recruiting as, as hard and well and accurately, accurately as we can. And, um, but it's weird because for me, the most important part has been, uh, in, in terms of recruiting has been face-to-face contact with players and being in their home and look at their mom and dad face-to-face and watching them play. Mm-hmm. Even with transfers, the opportunity to actually go visit them in their home, you know, our locker room and the dynamics that are so important that it's just something that I've never signed a player ever where I haven't done that. Um, even even visiting guys uh, overseas, like I've never signed a player. In fact, we just lost a player uh, here in the last 24 hours that that wanted to come, but I was just I was just hesitant because I had I've never actually signed a player that I haven't spent time with in person physically, and so we were a little slow, and, and he decided he was going to go elsewhere. And so, 
you know, there's a learning curve for us about trying to kind of manage this new reality we at least have for the next couple of months. And, and uh, but it definitely is challenging. Yeah, right now, kind of the live periods are canceled in the spring, as well as I think NCAA just put their deadline to the end of end of May. So who yeah. knows what will happen with the summer recruiting? But I can imagine even you know going forward of just that being much more difficult in terms of getting the in-person viewings and then uh, you know being able to really come up with a with a strong list. So I can only imagine how challenging that is for everybody right now. Well, and from an overview point, advantage point, um, you think, man, this is really, this is really unfortunate. You know, no, although I love recruiting transfers, I don't love the fact that a thousand kids are unhappy <laughs> enough or unsatisfied enough that they need to tr- tr- change where they are, right? Right. Um, and and so from from that vantage point, you're like, man, this is this could be a disaster, right? Now you have all these coaches signing kids they've never even met before, much less been able to really evaluate in person. Like, heaven help us. But um, from, a, from a, a, a more specific coaching point of view, we have to find ways to still accurately evaluate and, and, uh, and get to know kids when we can't do it in person. That's just the job we have in front of us. And, and we, we got to do it well. And, and so, uh, um, that's certainly going to be a challenge, but it's a challenge we all have and all share, and we got to figure it out. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned the thousand plus transfers currently, so you can only, you know, it seems like that's rising every year. So you can only imagine, you know, what could happen looking out a year or two, uh, based on a lot of offers going out to players that haven't been seen in person, et cetera. So I think mm-hmm. it'll be a challenge as well as interesting to see how how things play out. Um, kind of two two final questions for you, uh, non non BYU topics. But I know you had a had a strong career in the NBA, and and then had kind of a, a little bit of a gap before you got into coaching. So I was I was curious, you know, just about that that post NBA time period in your life, and what really drew you back to the college game. Well, the the uh, I I really appreciate you saying a strong NBA career. That's that's overly <laughs> generous. Uh, I was hanging on by a by a fingernail hey. uh, for my entire tenure, but I oh. loved every second of it. I was really blessed to be there. It was awesome. I I, I mean, it was you know I was the it, it was just such an extraordinary experience. And then you know, but but because we it was so uh, you know it was so day to day with us through our entire career every day we thought would be our last. So we were, we were always uh, intently kind of considering what we're going to do next. And we finally settled on medical school. And so for, I don't know, for the last four years of my MBA career, we were taking post back classes um, to prepare and then took the MCAT. And so as soon as we finished, as soon as we got fired for the last and final time, uh, <laughs> We, we we went straight to medical school at Columbia PNS uh, Columbia University Medical School, which is one of the top medical schools in the world, and it was uh, breathtaking and eye opening and incredible. And and uh, so I was uh, almost there for almost uh, to the start of my fourth year when when uh, Coach Fox, uh, who'd been a dear friend for a long time, got the job at Georgia, and and uh, we'd been talking. You know, uh, there were a lot of reasons why I suspected I was not going to be a great doctor and and um and I wasn't sure that it was a great fit for me as we got deeper into it I I like to yell and scream and holler and sweat and and although that happens in medicine it's not encouraged uh and so we um so when Foxy took that job 
you know, he allowed me to come with him at a low level position and, and uh coaching career was on. Well, it definitely seems like you, you made the right, the right choice and, and obviously were able to, to bounce around and, and then get the first head coaching job at, at Utah Valley, where you, you know, turned that program around pretty quick. Um, but going, you know, going back to, you know, obviously you said kind of a lengthy NBA career, but in college, you know, you started out Washington, I think, uh, pack 10 player, you know, freshman of the year, but then ended up at, at Kentucky. And I think right now without the NCAA tournament, a lot of, uh, older championship games are, are being shown and you see the discussions on ESPN and elsewhere about, you know, the best team in the, the two thousands or the best college team, et cetera. But you played yeah. on that 96 Kentucky team, uh, you know, a, a young Rick Pitino, you know, a lot of talent, a, a great record. Uh, but but how was it playing for that team? And, and where do you think they stack up amongst, you know, the, the best of all time? Uh, it was a great team. I mean, I mean, there's no two ways about it. I don't know if, you know, I, I think it'd be hard not to put us in consideration as one of the top teams uh, of all time. And I'm not, I'm saying that actually in all modesty. Uh, you know, my biggest function on that team was kind of handing out water and towels to, to these guys. Uh, we had, you know, from that team, we had nine guys going to play in the NBA, and and eight of us played seven or more years, had a seven plus year career in the NBA. So it was a it was a it was a power pack team. It was a, you know, we we had a senior class. Um, you know, it was it was right before one and done almost became. Uh, required of the top players, right? And so, uh, you know, it's right before, in fact, I think Tim Duncan stayed one more year, and that was kind of people were like, all right, this kid is actually staying. And it was a ch- kind of changing of an era. So college basketball was much older, even for the very best teams. And, um, you know, in all honesty, I mean, uh, Coach P made sure that our practices were harder than our games and genuinely uh, when you're matched up against the other five guys on our team, uh, the talent level that you were playing against for most of the games that season was was a higher level than when you actually stepped in to play games. I mean, think about it. Four of those five guys on the other unit went to play in the NBA, right? So I don't know how many other teams we played that had four of their five starters play in the league. And um, it was, it was uh, like a bloodbath every day in practice. And all led by this, you know, tyrannical dictator, <laughs> mad scientist, genius, Rick Pitino, who I love. Like, I'll love him forever. All of us do just because he put so much pressure on us. It couldn't help but change you in a, as a human being for the better, right? I love Coach so much. and uh, it, was a, it was, you know, for my little tiny slice of life, it was a, this unique, unique experience that I think – um, was really a rarefied air thing in college basketball. It was, it was incredibly special. Yeah, I mean, on, the, on that team, Tony Delk, Antoine Walker, Walter McCarty, Ron Mercer, and you kind of go down the list to, to Wayne Turner. Derek Anderson, Nazi Muhammad, yeah. Wayne Turner, Jeff Shepard, who was the MVP of the Final Four two years later. Uh, you know, it, it, our starting point guard was the only guy who, who didn't end up having an NBA career, Anthony Epps. And he got to try it with the Dallas uh, with with uh, with the Dallas Cowboys, you know that that summer. So uh, it gives you a sense of kind of what the complex composure of that team was. But it was a, it was a special group of guys. And the best thing was is that um, 
you know, we've, we've, you know, and this is just a tribute to coach uh, and the extraordinary job he did taking all of us prima donnas and making us play together. But, you know, I think that year in the SEC, we had four teams make the Sweet 16 and had two teams from the SEC in the Final Four. It was the top league in the country by far. I think for most of the season, we had five or sometimes six teams in the top 25. And we not only swept the SEC, but we averaged winning by 24 points a game in the best league in America. And um, and I think we averaged 23, give or take, and assist, assists a game. Uh, and and coach coach was such a force of nature that he made us play for each other and play together and and so some special things happened. I remember, you know, I was obviously younger back back then in, in maybe the middle school days, and I was mm-hmm. obsessed with Andre Miller. And I remember yeah. uh, having my parents recording on, uh, you know, recording that tape or uh, yeah. um, and focused on watching him. But you know, I don't th- yeah. think he even had played that well. But it was really you know, such a great team. And, and, you know, I, I think one that people will start remembering, especially as they're watching some of these older, older championship games. So definitely wanted to, to go back in some time and, and hear about that experience with you. But, um, you know, with that, wanted to, to thank you for coming on and, and best of luck going forward and navigating these times and hope that, that you and your family are, are staying safe. So thanks again for coming on. It was a pleasure watching BYU this year and looking forward to, to watching uh, the future seasons with you and the Cougars. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate you, man. Keep up the good work. All right. Thank you.